I'm Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries and founder of the Christian Economic Forum. Today, I have the opportunity to speak to Brooke Hempel, Senior Vice President of Research for the Barna Group. The Latin root for the word data suggests that it is a gift. So Brooke will provide us with the gift to better know and understand some key issues of our day. We will discuss what is happening in the U.S. church since the pandemic began and some of the vocational issues related to this upheaval in our lives. We conclude with a short discussion on the racial reconciliation ministries that she is personally involved with in her home of Atlanta, Georgia. As Senior Vice President of Research, Brooke manages the firm's research studies from semi-annual polls that track the pulse of Americans' beliefs and practices to custom studies for parachurch ministries, denominations, businesses, and not-for-profit organizations. Through this work, Barna helps leaders gain insights into faith groups and the general population's perspectives on faith and cultural issues. Well, Brooke, it's so nice to have you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Great to be here. I've given uh, some of your bio, but tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work and uh, why it's meaningful to you. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so I have been in market research for about 16, 17 years and had been doing that primarily in more of a corporate context. So I served um, organizations, companies that were in financial services or in healthcare and uh, did that for many years. And in my spare time on the side, I was doing some pro bono work for a church and thought, gosh, there's really a lot of value to be added to help provide data and insights based on data for a church to make decisions. And then I had a great opportunity to work with Redeemer New York and their church planting ministry. And they were looking to try to understand the landscape of different types of uh, engagement with culture amongst the Christian population. And so I said, hey, if, if you want to just get some data, um, you know, gather, gather some information that way, I can do some analysis and help you uh, put that together. And they brought in uh, Barna and David Kinneman to do the data collection. And I wasn't familiar with the whole ministry space and Barna's work at that time, but very quickly became um, really enthusiastic about how God had kind of given me these experiences that I could use for the church and what that would look like. So I joined Barna about six years ago after working with them on that project. Since you were at Redeemer, let's all remember to pray for Dr. Keller. Yes. Uh, I don't have any uh, new update or I have no direct connection with Dr. Keller. I just am aware of his challenges with pancreatic cancer and been praying for him. Uh, do you Thank have any you. update about his condition either? Um, he has been beginning treatment. So he went to the National Cancer Center to be able to kind of assess the best option. Uh, he's beginning chemotherapy back in New York. And so far, it's really good. It was just God's amazing hand that they caught it before he was even experiencing any symptoms. So he actually feels fine. Um, but they are trying to aggressively treat this cancer before it spreads. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for that update. Brooke, we're going to talk about uh, what's happening with the church and how we can uh, better understand uh, the impact of the pandemic on this institution. And you're going to give us uh, the data that I certainly don't have. But before I go there, tell us how you collect some of this information. What are the actual processes that pull it all together for you? Sure. 
Well, we have a panel of pastors uh, that we survey. So each year we do a couple of surveys where we will call churches uh, looking at you know, their, their listings and phone books, and we try to get a really good sample across the U.S. And from that, we recruit some pastors to our panel where they can quickly respond to surveys that we want to invite them to take. And so we have this, this group of pastors that is representative of all of the Protestant denominations in the U.S. Um, it's representative across regions and different church sizes. So it's, it's designed to mirror the church in the U.S., the Protestant church in the U.S., and so we go out to this group of pastors, uh, at least since COVID began, we've been going out once a week and saying, hey, can you just update us on how you personally are doing and how your church is doing? Uh, what are you changing in terms of the way you connect with your congregation? What are some of the needs that you have or that you've noticed? And then how are you addressing those? So we've been doing that for 13 weeks now, um, basically since the beginning of kind of uh, states and, and cities beginning to lock down and churches closing. And so we've been able to track how the churches are faring through this pandemic because of that survey. Oh, I think that's so important, Brooke. And I, what I'd like you to do is really just go through those, I think you listed five areas that you're focused on, maybe five or six. Now let's just start at the top and go through each one of what your findings are showing. I think the first question is personal. How are they doing? Yeah, uh, they're frazzled. <laughs> they're tired. Um, they started off strong with like, yes, I'm doing great. I'm optimistic. Um, there's a bit of a adrenaline rush energy that comes from saying, okay, there's a crisis. We have to come up with a new way of connecting as a church. And we have to meet a need uh, around this pandemic as well. So the first couple of weeks, we saw them saying, I'm doing okay. And over time, there's been a bit of a divergence, I would say, where there's some who are really beginning to struggle and really feel tired and even depressed. And there are others who are saying, you know, I'm I'm stabilizing, so that's good. So there's a bit of a split happening, but overall, because this past 13 weeks, 14 weeks, hasn't been their normal rhythm, they've been running off that adrenaline. So they're beginning to feel it, and they're feeling tired and depleted is a word that we hear often. Um, so they're, they're stable in many cases, but uh, they're just ready to slow down this pace. And also at the same time, because of having to kind of shift uh, around the changing nature of what's happening with churches and and whether or not you can meet, and that's constantly being updated. Um, they're also inundated with information. We have so many wonderful ministries that are looking to help equip churches and ministries uh, to do their work at this time, but also it takes time to filter through all that information and figure out what's relevant uh, to me. So that's just wearing down a bit on their their stamina. When you when you categorize them on this spectrum of uh, burned out or depleted, I don't think you said burned out, but stressed, depleted, sort of running on adrenaline to the other end of the spectrum where they're continuing to thrive and do well emotionally. Uh, how do you break that down? Uh, what What are some of those percentages? Yeah. Um, so we ask about their emotions and we ask about um, the, the degree to which, you know, they're feeling different emotions. But basically, um, we give them these emotions and say, you know, which of these are you actually experiencing right now? And uh, ask them to kind of, kind of share the breakdown of that. We also ask just generally, like, how are you feeling? How are you doing today? Um, so we've got a third of them that say, hey, I'm very good. And then we've got uh, about 17, 18% that say either I'm okay or I'm poor or I'm not doing well at all. 
Uh, and then we'll give them some emotions and ask them to say, you know, which of these emotions are you experiencing? Um, what are you feeling today? And so we do have, uh, you know, pastors who are saying they're feeling depleted, um, depressed, they're feeling just tired, run down. Um, and some that are saying, no, I'm feeling energized, I'm feeling confident. Uh, so there's really a mix. We we don't see, because we offer about 15 different emotions to them, we don't see anything that's more than, say, 15% of them giving us that emotion. But when you kind of clump them all together, you see about, you know, a third having these positive emotions, and then the remainder having either a negative emotion or something that just suggests being tired. Brooke, is there any correlation, do you think, between uh, the pandemic and some of the uh, tragedies we've been seeing happen among pastors. You know, there was recent high-profile suicide. There's, there's been a number of those in the last several years. Is that tied to the nature of their job where they feel lonely and isolated and really feel like they don't have anybody to talk to? Yeah, for sure. Um, they feel lonely, isolated, and also they're pulled in so many directions. So they're asked to be so many different things. Uh, they need to be the teacher, the thought leader, the the pastoral care uh, lead. They need to be the counselor. They have to make decisions about their operations and kind of be an executive in that way. So they wear so many hats, and many of those hats are not the hats that give them energy. And so that really just wears on them, and they know that there is such a weightiness to their role. Right. And, and scripture tells us that like this, this is not something to take lightly. And so they know that. And there is that sense of um, easily being overwhelmed. They still want to do all the best uh, in their role. Not, and, and it's rarely for their own glory. It's usually because I want to work for the Lord and please the Lord. And so out of a good heart, they work so hard and burn out and then find themselves feeling lonely and having not cared for themselves spiritually. Um, they they give it all to others, and they don't spend enough time stopping to kind of replenish and re- refresh their own souls and connect with God and get that strength from Him. And so that's where we often see burnout amongst pastors. It's something we've been tracking for a couple of years. We have this burnout index, and it looks at not just what they're doing, but how are they relationally sustaining the the kind of calls on their, their time? Um, do they have friends who are helping them or mentors? Do they have family who's supportive? as well as, you know, what are the demands of their job and, and how is that feeling to them? Are they, are they able to um, keep up with those demands? Or are they feeling overwhelmed by them? I read also some of the uh, things that hurt pastors that we don't do intentionally, but oftentimes uh, a person may leave a church, go to another one, and then start posting on social media how much better that church is they're now attending. And it's just killing uh, the other pastor or his wife or their family and uh, people are completely unaware that they have feelings as well, and they, they mm. see those things, and they, mm-hmm. they feel a sense of rejection, and, and, and they start to wonder, who really is my friend? Uh, are there people I can trust in my own congregation to, to go to with my own hurt or sorrow or, or burnout? Right, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of institutes or um, organizations that have popped up to just provide rest to pastors, to provide friendship, um, connections with other people in their same role, and and just encourage them through that. And I think that's so, so needed. 
I think your second category was how is the church doing? So let's mm-hmm. go to that category. And, and I'm, 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 I want to circle back and see if there's any correlation between the responses to the first question and the responses to the second question. So how did they answer number two? Yeah, so how is their church doing um, also tends to be a little bit of a mix. It's heavily tied to where their church is and the size of their church. So we definitely see that those churches that are smaller in size, maybe have a smaller budget, um, are struggling more. And those tend to be in rural areas. Uh, They also can more commonly be in urban areas. But the, the counterbalance to that is you'll often have these larger suburban churches. They're doing really well. Um, so there's a huge economic story undergirding all of this, and these factors line up on top of each other, which is if you have congregants who are themselves financially uh, at risk um, so that they are living at or near the poverty line, they also might be an essential worker, so they've been made to work through this pandemic, and uh, they, they live kind of week to week and therefore don't have the same sort of financial stability to be able to support the church. Then you have this whole ecosystem here that's really at risk. And so in a moment like this where things have been disrupted, their congregants have been the hardest hit. And by default, the church has also been hit and is also needing to serve those people, right? So you get these compounded effects that are happening Um, Again, it is more commonly in urban areas than in rural areas uh, with smaller churches. And and then we see, and and that's that's a portion of churches. It's not, you know, not the majority. And then we see many churches who are, again, larger, tend to be in a suburban area, tend to have congregants who are of a higher higher socioeconomic level who have not been hit as hard and are more stable financially. Those churches are actually doing really well. Uh, and they tell us that you know their their attendance has been relatively stable, their giving has been relatively stable. Um, in some cases, they're doing better because they're not meeting in person, and so they're not incurring costs of that. So there's been a real um, separation of the the reality for churches because of those compounded economic effects. So I read early on, Brooke, that about fifty six percent of churches were reporting that their giving was down. Uh, yeah. and, and that was early on, and I think it was during the time people are trying to adapt to streaming their services or finding online giving platforms that they could use to make up for some of the difference. Since you've been tracking this for the whole duration of the pandemic, what do those numbers look like now? Yeah, so we have been tracking that week by week. Um, you're right. It was well over half who were experiencing that in the first couple of weeks, and some of that was real uh giving kind of logistics of we don't have online giving platform or people aren't aren't using that universally. So we had to set that up. And then um, other components of that were uh, to have to do with um, just the mental uncertainty of, I don't know if I'm going to be hit by this thing, so I'm not going to commit to giving right now. So there was just kind of a freeze. So churches felt that in kind of the first three weeks. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, that has stabilized. So we have only about 10% of churches saying that their giving is significantly down. And then we have another quarter or so of churches that say it's a little down. The rest say it's stable or it's even up. 
right? So it's it's this minority group that still struggled to kind of get their footing financially. And, and again, those are the ones where there's kind of systemic ongoing economic challenges to the church. And are some of the larger suburban churches helping those uh, rural churches or urban churches that are struggling? Do you see yeah. some uh, networks forming that maybe didn't exist before? Yeah, there's a fantastic effort called Churches Helping Churches. And uh, that that's a collection of a bunch of different ministries that got together to say, how can we provide a quick conduit for some larger churches to take up a special offering or give a portion of their tithe to help these smaller struggling churches? And I believe to date they've been able to give away um, three quarters of a million dollars in grants to small churches. Um, the fund has been kind of overseen and, and dispersed by NCF. So there's lots of different ministries that came together quickly to make that happen. And they've raised a lot of funds from individuals as well as churches. And it's a beautiful picture of the church kind of coming together and saying, yes, we we heard your pain and we wanna we wanna help and respond. So we're, we're encouraged by that and, and hope that that really is, is meaningfully helpful to those smaller churches. I know that the uh, law changes relative to where people live, whether or not services can begin again. And I think, uh, at least where I'm at, Brooke, it's sort of in the middle of all that. There's, I think we had to call and reserve a seat last week because they could only take about uh, one third of the normal input or intake for for uh, people to show up in person, and the seats sold out pretty quick on the reservation basis. Oh, interesting. But uh, what is the new normal for churches? Do you think this is going to help churches? I've been reading that some are experiencing rapid online growth, and it's like, wow, we've never been able to reach this many people. Uh, I'm reading that some prefer it this way, that they, they're going to, there's going to be a, an option now. Do I go in person or just stream at home? What's it going to look like in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. We're seeing much more of the both and. Even, you know, just looking at this summer, churches are telling about three quarters of churches are telling us that they do plan to do both. So we will begin to open up, but we will still offer streaming. And many of them are saying, well, if we've got this set up, and now we know how to do this, we may as well continue. Because the reality is, before all this happened, there was a huge decline in church attendance. And that wasn't always people leaving the church. It was often just the realities of people being away for the weekend for a family wedding, or I've got a child at home that's sick. That's actually the most common reason people miss church, is they've got a child at home who's sick. And that really disrupts their ability to connect in person. And so now they have this opportunity to say, hey, I could still um, come and, and stream this online, you know, from a house uh, or come in person and have that option in the moment, you know, on that day, depending on how things are going for us. And I think that's going to really help to stabilize some of what we've seen with these trends of, you know, attendance declining or um, people just being really inconsistent. There's also the reality that some people work jobs that require them to work on a Sunday morning. So if you've got times uh, other than Sunday morning that you can make that available to people, it really does help smooth out the curve. Brooke, I've always believed this statistic, and I'm more than uh, capable of being guilty of believing wrong statistics, and, and so I, you can correct me here, but I, I've understood that church attendance in America has been level for decades, that it, it's almost... Uh, a number that stays consistent. It's consistently higher than most people think. 
You know, we always read the reports that people are leaving the church or abandoning the faith and the church is in trouble and it's, it's uh, hurting. And so I just want to see if you've got any historic perspective on that number of not just showing up on Sunday morning, but saying they're actively involved or, or, or they're, they belong to a church. Yeah. So there are those nuances of am I a member versus am I attending weekly um, versus do I consider myself a Christian? So uh, unfortunately, we do see all of those declining. They were stable for a very long time. And about 10 years ago, they began declining. And we've been looking into this for a while. What, what's behind that decline? Um, there's a, it's all of these effects compounded, right? So there's a compounded effect of there are some people who say, I no longer would consider myself a Christian. And so the number of people who self-identify as Christian has dropped. Also, the, the proportion of the population that considers themselves none um, is rising. It's over a quarter of Americans. So that's, that's something that, that rises with each generation as well. Um, then we see in terms of church attendance, um, yes, there may be you know, a relatively steady or slightly declined number of people on the rosters uh, who are you know, known by a church, whether they're members or not, but that weekly attendance has definitely been declining. But there's also what we, what we've called um, these nomads, these people who would say that they have a faith, they care about their faith, but they're not filling it through the physical church. And that's one of the interesting things about this moment that I think is a good opportunity for the church, because right now there's an opportunity to hear the best preaching or the preaching that you find most encouraging anywhere. You can listen to a podcast, you can watch that video online, right? So so you don't need that local you know, teaching moment in the same way. Um, there's tons of books and resources you can use, Bible studies that you can do, all of which are virtual as well as in person. And so the the reason to go to church has shifted. It's got to be much more about relationship and community and discipling each other than it is about hearing good preaching or getting good teaching, right? Because all of those other things are available to us. And so that's what this moment, I think, with, with COVID has made possible is to separate those things and to say, the reason we want to gather is because we're the body and we need those relationships to encourage each other and to grow. Beyond that, people are kind of curating their own collection of resources that help them grow in their faith. And we've seen that. We've seen um, millennials very commonly, you know, they were known to have left the church, but very commonly they'll say, actually, there's definitely plenty of Sundays where I don't go to church. And instead I'm you know, looking at a podcast of another church online. Um, and they're the most likely to say that. And that doesn't mean that they've left the faith. It means that their connection to what the church is doing uh, is is not quite clicking in the mm-hmm. same way. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of joining and staying plugged in forever and being consistent or or loyal to one church, is is that's definitely changing. For sure. And even that concept of membership uh is something that's that many I would say millennials and Gen Z, so basically people under forty, are resistant to just across the board. In addition to when it comes to their faith, so that idea of belonging to that, that community doesn't have the same weightiness or urgency that it would have had with previous generations. But that doesn't mean that everyone's walking away from the faith. It just means that there's the disconnect with the church. So, Brooke, what else have you been surveying? I think I may have gotten us a little bit off track. Let's go back to the to the to the outline that you started with. What's the next area that you've been asking the church about? 
But we asked a bit about programs and the ways in which churches are engaging with uh, different members of their church. So for example, uh, we asked what's going on with your children's services um, or children's ministries, right? Are you connecting with your youth and your kids in the same way. So we saw very early on that many churches didn't have a plan for what they were doing with kids. Um, oftentimes they would just provide some resources to the parents and ask the parents to kind of use these in their own time, but they weren't weaving that into their church services. Only 15% were actually weaving in something for the kids in their regular online church service offerings. And so we've continued to dig in and say, well, what's your plan? What's your plan? Um, and many of them are beginning to figure out how do we do, let's say, a, a Zoom meeting for our youth that works okay for them that, at that age group that they can do that. But they're really struggling with what to do with elementary age kids and younger because it really needs to be directed. So for the most part, the majority are actually just enlisting the parents and equipping the parents to be that sort of um, spiritual guide in their children's life and, and equip them to do that on a more regular basis. But they have frequently said, you know, we asked churches, like, what are you, um, what has your engagement been like with churches? What are you seeing in terms of um, youth ministry or kids? And we're definitely seeing that they're saying their engagement has decreased either somewhat or significantly. Um, that's about three quarters of churches that say that, that we've basically lost a lot of touch with our kids and our youth. So that's an interesting one that we are wondering about because it's summer and that's not going to get any better, right? Usually churches kind of ramp down their, their programs in the summer. Summer camps are closed as well. So come fall, if and when churches are meeting again in person, schools are able to go back to um, in-person gathering, what's that going to look like for where kids are spiritually, right? Because it, it's really parent dependent and some parents feel more equipped and some for some, this is a new area. Or they, they struggle to have the capacity to do it because you maybe have two parents working from home, juggling, caring for kids, not having childcare. How do I prioritize the spiritual growth and formation of my child at this moment? So that's an area that we are wondering how that's going to go. What's, you know, surely some ministry is going to come up alongside of the church to help. Um, but what are churches looking to do in that respect? And many of them just don't have a plan right now. Very, very few, about a quarter or less, say they have a plan for how to engage kids and youth more deeply. Well, that's certainly an opportunity for the body of Christ to consider how to respond to. I hadn't really thought about that, but there's a vacuum, not only for the youth that are not able to have their normal church involvement, but also camp involvement, which are usually very significant experiences for them. Right. So let's go to the next one. What else have you been asking them, Brooke? Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, how is, how is their church doing? And we, we took a little bit of a um, segue on that, but we also asked in, in what ways are they kind of helping their members or engaging with the community? Um, and so one of the things that we uh, were concerned about is that um, we do see a portion of people uh, or pastors reporting that a portion of people in their church um, are, you know, struggling. And for the most part, the church has been able to help those that they're connected with. But there are a lot of people who are not connected to a church who are struggling. And many churches have not really known how to engage. Many of them didn't have existing connections in the community to do that. We've heard some great stories of those who have, um, and food drives are probably the most common ways that people have connected, uh, just helping deliver meals to those maybe who relied on that sort of support in the past and didn't have it now. 
but we've not seen a more um, structural or organized response to this crisis that we think as this continues is actually really going to be needed. Uh, it's It's been very light engagement. I think churches have kind of said to their their congregants, hey, that's great, you should get involved, but not really given a lot of direction on here's some ways you can do that. Um, it's, it's about 20% who've said, yes, we've done something, but most of them have not. And that's going to be really important as we continue on in this uh, COVID moment, right? Even if as churches start meeting again and people go back to work and businesses, um, the needs are still there and the needs are still pretty substantial economically, especially, uh, and not just locally, but especially globally. Very few churches, um, I, I'm trying to remember the number exactly, but it was around 10% had said that they've even thought about the global impact of this. But the need is extraordinarily high globally, um, much bigger impact than we've experienced here in our country. So they, I don't think many churches have, have come up with a plan yet. They've been in crisis mode. How do we solve our own issues of we just need to you know, get our services streaming and make sure we're financially stable? But the next step is, what is our missional calling? How are we engaging with our community and the world and providing um, kind of relief and support in that way? That's so very helpful, Brooke. Thank you. I feel like I've gotten my facts straight and also sense a great deal of opportunity for an organization like ours and the people that we serve who are active in their local church to understand better how to respond to this and and adapt to the new normal going forward. I want to talk to you about two more topics, if I can shift gears for just a second, Brooke. You also have done some research on other stresses that are being caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, economic stresses. That's certainly the place and space that we're in. Uh, So would you give us an update on what you're finding there, particularly about what I think you call them the the byproducts of this pandemic? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's economic, which is pretty direct, but there's the things that come from that. So there's uh, you know, am I paying my bill? Am I able to pay my bills or am I able to kind of have that sort of economic stability? Uh, and and the compounded effect of maybe I'm anxious about health or whether or not I'm safe along with my financial security is at risk creates a great deal of anxiety. Now, interestingly, we actually expected to see the highest anxiety levels in those who are most at risk of COVID, which would be older adults or those who are, who are immunocompromised, that's not where we're seeing it. We're actually seeing it in the youngest Americans. And the reason for that is very often they're first to be hit economically in terms of layoffs or furloughs uh, because they're newer to the job market. They're also the first to go. And so we're seeing a lot of anxiety, even if they haven't been laid off or furloughed yet, they know that they're at risk. And so that anxiety level, and we've got you know about four out of ten uh, young adults who would say, "I am ex- really struggling with anxiety. This isn't just like I'm thinking about it. This is I'm wrestling with anxiety on a regular basis between health and economic, and just all of the <laughs> emotions that are swirling um, in our world and our country right now. That's something that that there's going to need to be uh, some assistance." on that mental health front. We actually had a great session. Um, One of our uh, gatherings of clients who are in nonprofit sectors, uh, we brought in a speaker who used to run um, kind of on the ground humanitarian aid efforts. And he said, you know, the first kind of however many months of the crisis, you know, you're just in response mode. You just got to show up and you have to deal with the crisis. And then there's this kind of like 
okay, recovery, like we've stabilized, but now, now what's next? And that's even before you go into restoring the way things should be. But the recovery mode is important. He says, that's when you go from the physical to the emotional and the mental, right? So you shift the need is you suddenly start to process what has just happened here. And so the mental and emotional toll that that crisis has taken on you is usually pretty steep. And so he was warning us a couple of months ago, like, get ready. You need to have counselors ready to help people process through this. And what does this mean for them? And how do we help support them in becoming emotionally stable through this as well? You also found, thank you for that, Brooke, but you, you also found this is an opportunity when people are seeking vocational direction. There's been an, yes. a, an upheaval, maybe their industry's been... Uh, hard hit or they weren't classified as essential. And so there's a real yearning in people's heart to know about what to do next. Yeah. So you're right. We we have people who might need to make a job shift because they've truly lost their job or their job has changed in a certain way that it's no longer what they signed up for. Um, so we're seeing that right now. And in, in this, this week, you know, these numbers are being debated right now, but we know that many Americans are being impacted by that. So there's the logistical of that. And then there's also the, what is my calling kind of moment? And we've heard and seen a lot of that right now in almost a really healthy corrective way, which is many people got on the treadmill and they were running and they were working towards whatever they thought their goal was. And we were required to stop in this moment and stop and be at home. And if we've got a family, be with that family. Um, or if we don't have a family, you realize that you actually really wanted that, those relationships. Um, and just to rethink our priorities and our values and that's caused a lot of people to say, you know what, this thing that I was pursuing that I thought was just the way that you do it, the treadmill that I was on is not the treadmill I want to be on. And so when, when I go back, I don't want to go back. I want to do something different or I want to be at home more. I want to be in a different industry. And so there's this wrestling of, okay, well, God, what are you calling me to do? Right? So you've equipped me with certain opportunities, but also how do I live faithfully in those and, and the gifts that you've given me and the opportunities you've given me? So I do think there's going to be a real need for vocational kind of counseling to help people think through what am I supposed to be doing in my work, whatever that looks like, even if my work means my not working in the marketplace, uh, what am I supposed to be doing and how is God calling me to serve right now that might look really different than it did a year or two ago? Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I've been counseling people myself who are asking those questions, and mm. it doesn't surprise me that's more widespread than maybe we recognize because of this. A lot of people are resetting their priorities, resetting right. their direction in life. You know, one thing we didn't plan to talk about, Brooke, but I found fascinating about your resume is that you've been involved in organizations committed to racial reconciliation, and that's such a a hot topic, sensitive topic, uh, mm-hmm. more than a topic. It's it's essentially a movement right now in this country. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you what you've been involved in and how well those things have been working. So I've been involved in a number of different ways. Um, so very personally, and you know, I live in Atlanta, and Atlanta is a a great city to model reconciliation. That's at the heart of our conversation. So there's actually a lot of both church and secular organizations that are involved in that. Uh, one of them is called One Race. It's a collection of churches throughout the the area that gets together uh, to talk through these topics and to pray, especially to pray 
and just be the body together, which has been a huge bridge. So that's uh, locally, and I've definitely wanted to dig into and have dug into um, some specific areas in Atlanta. There's a, a neighborhood called English Avenue that I'm very passionate about, uh, where it's just full of dis disadvantages and a number of fronts. And so we've been involved in education specifically in that neighborhood, but there's so many needs. And, and that's really where that reconciliation comes from. Uh, the, there's in, in English Avenue, there's a pastor that I've connected with, and he uh, moved down here from Minnesota and was serving in this neighborhood and said, actually, if I want to make a difference, I have to do what's called incarnational ministry. I have to be there. Just as Christ came down to be with us, I have to go into that neighborhood and be with them if I want to be a part of the reconciliation. And so it's a beautiful model of coming alongside, not trying to come in and fix something, not trying to do something without context, but to just be. And I've grown more through that experience and those relationships, I think, than any of the people that I've thought I was helping, honestly. So that's been a personally a beautiful thing. Uh, but at Barnum, we've also been studying this a lot in the last three years or so. We have two studies. One is on the historic Black church, and we're trying to understand the what that church has been able to do in terms of empowering and equipping people who uh, needed a voice and who simply just are, are really needing assistance in terms of justice, right? And, and strengthening in terms of, of justice issues. So we've been studying that. And then also uh, our, our most relevant to this topic study is with Michael Emerson, who wrote Divided by Faith over 20 years ago. And he wanted to kind of refresh the book. And so we started the study with him uh, to look at people's perspectives on race in the U.S. and specifically within the church. It's a very large quantitative study. And we also conducted focus groups. And part of those were in multi-ethnic churches, so churches that were more diverse. And then others were in more mono-ethnic. Um, so they would have been in, of any particular racial group, but churches that were more homogenous. And that has been fascinating. We've learned so much um, about what reconciliation is and is not. Uh, it's not about diversity in terms of numbers. It's not about just seeking unity. It's about really hearing and understanding and knowing those who are different than you and seeking to know and understand their challenges and struggles and be with them in those. And that's exactly what we're seeing in this moment, that we're hearing people say, no, we've been telling you this forever and we need you to listen that this is a problem and we need you to respond by helping us come up with structural changes that will, that will alleviate the suffering, right? Um, there's so many answers to, to this moment that we're seeing that are just deep in scripture of, do I see my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor? Do I care about their well-being? Um, God's where I've been kind of scrolling through Isaiah and Jeremiah and God's word has so much to say about caring for the oppressed and not being an oppressor or not being one of the religious ones, but actually being the one who is, is there in a moment of um, solidarity with, with anyone uh, who God has created in his image. Right. So that's a lot of the work that we've been doing at Barna. Um, the church has a lot of work to do in that area. They, unfortunately, there's still a lot of hurt and pain um, and a lot of misunderstanding in churches. And I think this moment has been a wonderful wake-up call for us to say, what do I believe? What do I understand? What do I need to learn? What conversations do I need to have? And how can we, uh, even before you pursue reconciliation, how can we understand and lament the reality of what's happening here? And then try to be helpful and supportive and encouraging. Then comes reconciliation. 
Um, so that's been a great journey for us as we've come to understand that ourselves uh, through our work at Barna. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. I, I think this is a good Samaritan type moment where we've got to decide, are we going to say that we love God or are we, are we going to, or, or say that we love our neighbor or are we going to do something about it? Right. And when asked, who is my neighbor, the Lord uh, surprised the person who asked that question by telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, there was an unlikely hero in that story. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is our moment to be the unlikely uh, person to uh, build those bridges and to be compassionate and and to actually put handles on our love, to do something mm-hmm. tangible about it. I love the word incarnation, in, to be incarnate in their lives that are the people who are hurting. So, yeah. Brooke, you've taken us a, a long journey here. We started with uh, the pastor and the local church. We transitioned into vocational issues and uh, and then finally into this area of racial reconciliation. It's been so helpful to have you. We appreciate our long friendship with David and your organization, and we thank the Lord thank for you. the good work you're doing, Brooke. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, and thanks so much for hearing um, what our, our church leaders have to say. Thank well, you. It's been very important to us. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the work of the Barna Group, you can visit them online at barna.com. To learn more about Crown, to access our free COVID resources, or to receive more of our podcast, just visit crown.org. 